So turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligence, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. You know, God always had a plan, and he's not trying to uh, fool anybody. But because of the incredible uh, created human being that he's made in each one of us, the incredible design of a brain and a heart, our brains are so uh, capable of growing and gathering knowledge, and, and, and we're also uh, given that, that, that ambition. And when we really apply ourselves, our brains can continue to give us success that really is God's credit, even though we work hard. The Bible says here that we can get so intelligent that the message of the cross can be foolish to us if we don't have faith. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, I want to ask you a question here. Is the cross foolishness to you, or is the cross the power of God? Now, before you answer that, it should reflect on your life, because if the cross is the power of God in your life, then you are living for God and your number one goal is to obey and please and walk with God. And really the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second commandment is love others more than yourself. That doesn't naturally happen without the power of God affecting someone from the cross, realizing who you were in your sins. So we need to look at the resurrection today, but before we even look at that, we gotta look at the death, because why did Jesus die? To save us. Let's look in 1 Thessalonians chapter one, verse, chapter four, verse one. 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verse one. The title of the lesson today is, was Christ's death of value to you? Basically, did it bring change to you? Or is it just a symbol and something mentally that you recognize, but you really don't live or strive to find out what pleases God? Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, we read, As for the matters, other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask and we urge you in the Lord to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. 
It is God's will that you be, should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to live an impure life, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction rejects not a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So the word of God, if we reject the instructions of the Bible, we're not rejecting a human being. We are rejecting God in his spirit. Let's pick it up in verse nine. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. See, with the power of the cross, you never arrive. God continues to allow you to mature spiritually and continue to be more Christ-like. Let's pick it up in verse 11. So it says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to love your brothers and sisters more and more. And in verse 11, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, non-Christians, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Basically, back then, they didn't have electronics or technology. The, the heart of this is really just to work, carry your own load, and really honor God so people can see that your God isn't too small to take care of you. And that's why we should not fear in times of challenge or trouble. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to, to be in, uninformed about those who sleep in death. Verse 13, those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. See, you guys, the Bible says that if you're affected by the cross and the resurrection and you're a true disciple of Jesus the way Jesus defines in the Bible, we are just falling asleep. When, some, when a Christian dies, he just he's asleep. We don't need to grieve like the rest of mankind, even though most people don't think about death until death's at their door or at the door of a loved one, then we don't really know how to feel or act. It's just people are uncomfortable. Uh, but God says here that we don't need to be worried if we truly have our heart and our faith set in God's word and, and understand why Jesus came, what he calls us to do, make him Lord, repent of our sins, understand why he died, what he died for, and strive to live and honor him with our lives from now on. We don't have to be uh, grieving like everybody else because we know we have hope. It's not just a, uh, a pipe dream. And look in verse 14. 
For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Amen. Rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will raise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, the scripture that I read before this was the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And what I mean perishing means they are going to die and be separated from God for eternity because we all are going to die. But see, when we are living with God and we are saved, because the Bible classifies human beings in only two categories. There's either the saved or the lost. And the Bible says encourage one another with this. But see, it's foolishness if you don't have faith in the cross because look what I just read. It seems humanly our intelligence and our reasoning, look at this and go, this is a silly story. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. There's going to be a loud command and the voice of an archangel and a trumpet, a trumpet call of God. And then the dead are going to raise and it says the rest of us are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. Now, that is impossible. That scenario. We're going to be walking up, we're going to be up in the clouds with the Lord. See, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who believe, we understand that miraculously God is going to do what he said. The Bible says here that we need to have, uh, we need to learn to control ourselves. Now, if you think about this, uh, in verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says that each of us should learn to control our own body in a way that is holy and honorable. You know, uh, those of you who saw that, that little short mini film skit we did in the pre-service uh, about the character that was really set because of the coronavirus, he was, they, they came home and he yelled to his wife and said, Oh my gosh, we have a stay home order. The whole world is on quarantine. What are we going to do? We got to stay focused spiritually. Otherwise, we're going to just fall into like uh, laziness or depression or uh, cabin fever and just not be able to handle all this free time cooped up. And even those of us who are working from home, it still takes a discipline to have a structure. The Bible says here that we need to learn to control our own bodies. And as you can see in that skit, he started out well, but what happened? He didn't learn to control his own body. And when he started out reading the Bible and praying and starting to get the power of God to really focus, we saw that he, he started to drift and, not, and, and take for granted reading his word and really starting out giving God the glory and asking God to help him with his day to a point where he's laying on the couch and it went from fruit and good food to just 
junk food, which we know most people, when we eat a bunch of junk food, we feel terrible about ourselves. And if we keep eating too much, we know we don't want to do that. We're not controlling our own body. And we see him reach for the Bible, right? When he comes to, and he's in a terrible place, he's still trying to do what's right. So he grabs the Bible and he has to flick the cookies off the top of the Bible even. And we see, all right, he's trying. He opens the Bible because he's so weakened by his decision-making that he only reads it for just barely and doesn't even focus. He can't concentrate, puts it back down and his eyes wander to that cookie and he goes to the cookie because see, if you continue to let your mind control your body to wrong and sinful decisions, then that sinful nature is going to build strength in you and your spiritual nature is going to get weak. And then Obviously, he sees that he just his body had become really overweight, and then thank God it was a dream. But none of us want to do destructive things that we know end and lead to terrible consequences. But if you look around the world, so many people do that. That's why the Bible says the cross is the message of foolishness to those who are perishing. Why? Well, because those who are perishing, they like the idea of heaven, but they don't like what God says when he says you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, you think about this. Sex outside of marriage. God says do not do it. If you think about the planet right now and how many people have sex outside of marriage, I would say that's probably one of the greatest sins on the planet Earth. And it's widely accepted in most cultures. I am very guilty of it myself. Before I became a Christian, I thought that's what we were meant to do. When you get to know a girl, you that part of the process is eventually you will have physical sex with her. But that's not what God's Word says. And it's not an expired old book. It's alive and active. It says that if you want to really be involved in the celebration of the resurrection, then you have to be involved in the repentance and the trust and the obedience and the power of God to change. Because you must be willing to see sin as God calls sin and repent. So if you're sleeping and having sex with someone outside of marriage, right now you can't be right with God. You need to repent or you're lost and you never were right with God. We need to really take serious what God says in his lessons because he says things that I think a lot of us don't pay attention to because the Bible is the most sold book on the planet but the least read. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. It says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who was Apostle Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, which means they're on ice until they raise with God for eternity at the second coming. They're not dead, but they, they're dead as human beings. But they, the Bible says we're asleep if we're in Christ when we die. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. The central theme of the gospel is given in these verses here. It's a key text for the defense of Christianity. What's the first thing this, these verses say? Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. Without the truth of this message, Jesus Christ's death is worthless. And those who believe in him remain in their sins without hope because there was no salvation and no sacrifice for sin. The second thing is it says he was buried. The fact of Jesus' burial reveals the reality of his death. Many have tried to discount the actual death of Jesus, but Jesus did in fact die and was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he came to life. So it, it was, you know, rigor mortis would have set in and it would have been a terrible smell. So it, that's impossible. But we know the Bible says all things are possible with God. And he was buried. But then the amazing thing that made it a miracle that stands out different than any other human being that's ever lived is he rose from the dead on the third day as the scriptures said. Christ was raised permanently, forever. His father raised him from the dead on the third day, as noted in the Gospels, Friday afternoon to Sunday morning. Three days in Jewish reckoning of time. This also occurred according to the Scriptures. Jesus quoted the book of the prophet Jonah in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, to show the connection to the three days prophesied in the Old Testament. And he talked a lot about that. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Do you understand the resurrection? So far, unfortunately and sadly, many of us have probably already been to funerals of people we love dearly. I know there's people that uh, I know that have just lost a grandfather and, and others have lost grandparents. I know some have lost their parents. It's never easy. But what is Easter about? The resurrection of the dead. Celebrating because Jesus resurrected from the dead, we have that chance to make that choice if we don't decide it's foolish. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, let's read this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins 
himself and his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you, like sheep, were going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. See, this is where it gets really personal. It's an example. It's not something we read about and go, wow, what a blow away story. It's moving. No, it's a story that you need to enter into and it needs to be your story. Because he says he suffered for us and he left it as an example. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example and me an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. We need to live like that. When the power of God comes to you through the message of the cross and you repent and are baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 2, 38, you are born again. And that means you're, you, you've made Jesus Lord and you striving to commit the rest of your life to follow in his footsteps. So you are going to strive to not sin. But since we know that our sinful nature is so powerful, that's why we have grace and we're saved by grace. But we don't bank on grace or live and live like we don't have to give it everything we got. The Bible says over and over and over, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. We're saved by grace, but heart is what God's looking at. You have a changed heart or do you not? If you think about, uh, if you think about the wounds, it says he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. Well, I committed sin. Have you committed sin? Do you, have you lied? Has, have you ever lied? Yes, I've lied. And you know, before I, I understood the cross, it, I wouldn't have said it was foolishness intellectually, but I had no clue. I was not saved anymore than a man on the moon. I believed in Jesus. I went to a school that taught Jesus. I grew up going to church. And I believed that Jesus died, was buried, and raised from the dead. But I was not following his example, nor did I understand or want to. I wanted to live my way. And I remember since I was a teenager, I started stepping into all kinds of sin that everyone else was doing. And the Bible calls that the pattern of this world. Every sin you can imagine I was involved in, I'm sure. Sexual immorality, impurity, drugs, alcohol, lying, anger, jealousy, envy, bitterness, greed, lust. That was my lifestyle. So the message of the cross was foolishness to me, even though I wouldn't have said it was. That's how deceived we all can be. Point number one, do you overcome your sorrows through prayer? You know, turn your Bibles to Matthew 26, because before Jesus went to the cross, remember, we need to follow in his footsteps. Well, we aren't probably going to be asked to die on a cross, but when we make Jesus Lord, we are saying that we will die for Christ and we will die in his name if it's called for. 
there was many martyrs. Matthew 26, 36 talks about how Jesus overcame his stress, his anxiety, his sorrows, being overwhelmed. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. That is so true right now. Watch and pray so you not fall into temptation. If you stop watching and seeing spiritually the world the way God opened your eyes and praying, you're going to fall into temptation. Just look at the opposite of that. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's true to the grave. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away a third time more and prayed the third time the same thing, saying, Father, if it's not your will, then I'm going to do what you ask. And he found them again in verse 45 and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You know, when you're suffering, here Jesus is one, of the, is one of the greatest examples, and it opens a door to see how fully human our Lord was. It says, first of all, keep watch with me, showing his need for human companionship. He was lonely. He asked, guys, can you stay with me? Well, we can all relate to that. Some of you may be very lonely right now because of this quarantine. You know, if you're single or you happen to be alone, it gets lonely. We're not meant to do well lonely. And then he says, can you keep watch? And that's why he kept going back. Why are you sleeping? I need encouragement. Are you good at encouraging others? Or do you, is it even on your mind? See, as a man or woman who decide to follow in his footsteps, we learn to love and we learn to think about others. And that comes through time and prayer and asking the power of the cross and Jesus to change us. So he's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That means he can't get any worse. And he falls on his face and prays. You know, I've asked many in the church, and I tell the church myself, I get on my knees every morning. It's not that you're ordered to get on your knees, but I have nothing I can show God or do anything, and I know I can't earn it, but to get on my knees before God, it's the greatest sign of humility that I can say and, and remind me I'm nothing. And it helps me to remember that. Jesus was on his face, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So I think I, can, I should get on my knees because he couldn't go on unless he continued to willingly pray to get his heart right and his emotions collected to continue to obey God's will and God's call for him to die. He needed to decide to do it and have free will to do it, but it didn't still make it easy for him. He still had to pray. So when you follow Jesus and you decide to repent, 
of sexual immorality or purity or drugs or alcohol or anything that you're chained to and you know it's going to be hard, you're not going to be able to do it until you get ready to suffer and overcome your sorrows and suffering through prayer. And you don't go by your feelings anymore. You go by righteousness, doing right in the eyes of God. Point number two is do you live a life that respects God or shows God contempt? Contempt or respect? What do you show God? Contempt or respect? Contempt is deliberate rebellion. Contempt is outward disrespect to the wishes of an authority of God. Respect is trying to do everything you can to grow and please your Father in heaven. Look in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Do you show God respect or contempt? Point number two. And in Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. The righteous will live by faith. See, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Well, why would he have to say that? Because a lot of people think it was foolish and there was persecution. And in fact, people, he was killing people. Before Paul was converted, his life was so different that his name, he, he had a name Saul. He changed his name because when he realized how wrong he was with God, he just changed his name to Paul because he goes, I'm a new man. And that's really what we all are. When we become true disciples and come out of the waters of baptism, we're born again, a new creation. We still got to fight our sinful nature, but now we're willing to do whatever it takes and suffer for the cross. He says, I'm not ashamed because it's the power of God that brings salvation, the power of God. You know, in Romans chapter 1, or excuse me, go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 in verse 4. I asked you and I told you what the point was. Point 2 is, do you show respect or contempt for God? And well, let's pick it up in Romans 2, 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? See, God is so loving and patient that you may not be aware and you've been living in sin for so long, but that's why he has people preaching the word. That's why he tells his disciples since the day that Jesus walked the earth, he taught them to follow them. And there's always been people that become true disciples of Jesus, good students, which later on the word disciple uh, was given the name Christian, Jesus never used the word Christian. Christian's in the Bible three times, but it's the same thing. But today, if you, many people call themselves Christians, never learn the, from the scriptures, 
really the way of life that Jesus intended to teach because it got misrepresentative through the centuries. A disciple needs to make a disciple, needs to make a disciple, and you should be able to follow it all the way back to the way Jesus did it in the flesh. So here we see that some of us may not even realize it, myself included, till I really, God got my attention, was that I was showing contempt for the riches of God's kindness by disrespecting him and living deliberately and ignorantly in willful sin that literally killed Jesus. And, and I, basically what I was saying is stay on that cross, pal. I'm not ready. But until I really owned it and said, I killed Jesus by my sin, you're killing Jesus by your sin, that's when you have to really decide, is it foolishness or is it power? Because when you really realize he has to take your place, he has to be beaten, tortured, and die for you not to be separated from God. And when you understand that, that he's saving your spiritual eternal life from hell, you're going to change. If you don't change, then it's foolishness and it's become a ritual and you're religious in a way that has no meaning. You honor him with your lips, but your heart's far from him and you just go to the church that your ancestors went to. And everybody just goes along, puts on their church faces, goes home, but has no idea of anything else. And we all think we're a good people. We're not. God says no one's good compared to the standard. No one can make it into heaven by living a good moral life without Jesus. Does that make sense? Verse five. But because of your stubbornness, and your repentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger." There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So the Bible says that if you don't understand the love and kindness of God and realize he's trying to get your attention, the word of God is preached. Bibles, the word of God is accessible to anyone. True disciples are people who not only commit to God and his church, and believe it or not, a lot of people think organized religion isn't God's plan. I heard a guy tell me the other day, you don't have to go to church, it's just you and God. I couldn't say anything at that point because I didn't, I, he wasn't in the right position. It's not true. But the problem is all of these buildings and people who say they're people who are love God and follow him, there's so many willing and deliberate hypocritical people that they don't even know that they're in this this, this trance of just living in sin, but thinking they're right with God. And then when true disciples really start living it out, they look weird or they seem strange to people who think they're Christians, who aren't Christians, who are in deliberate sin because they're threatened by the way of life of disciples because disciples are striving with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength to love and obey God and really 
The church is the family, so they aren't just church uh, acquaintances. So people in the world sometimes go, oh, those are your church friends. You're always with your church friends because it's weird to them. They go to church, but they don't realize that the people in the church are family and they never really taught to do anything but just go and hear a message and go home. And I'm not trying to be judgmental, but just there's it's ignorance. No one knew, myself included. So if you don't respond to the kindness of God, which is intended for you to see what the cross means and repent, well, the Bible says then you're stubborn and you're unrepentant, unwilling to change. And then he says, because of that decision, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Judgment is coming. When you die, your eternity is fixed. It says God will repay each person according to what they have done. See, very interesting. We're saved by grace, judged by works. Well, wait a minute. You're going to say we all sin. No, but the people that are saved by grace understand when they sin and are cut and they repent and they take responsibility and they strive to change. The people that, that don't understand grace continue to maybe say, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to do that, or don't say it in front of the children, but they don't have a godly sorrow. They don't become sorrowful as God intends. They become only sorry as the world intends. So they, know, they don't understand that before God, whatever they do by themselves should be what they do in front of public. And the Bible says he's going to pay each one of us according to what we've done in the body. What we've done. Every act is recorded. And if you're in his grace and you died to your sinful life and you're living to strive and you really understood the cross and you had your sins forgiven and now you're living to not sin and when you do sin, you're very grateful for grace and you continue to strive to change and pray and, and grow, then God continues to forgive you with the blood of Jesus because you're in him. But if you haven't made that decision and you're stubborn, you're outside and all the sins you've done are still held there because you've not respected God. You've shown God willful, deliberate rebellion to the what he calls you to do and obey. Verse seven says, to those by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Those who by persistence, what's persistence? Keeping at it. Keep on keeping on. And, and, and when it's challenging and you're having hard times and you're overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, you go to God in prayer. You go to your brothers and sisters to help them share your burden. And you have people help you. But you tell God, nothing is impossible with you. And I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But what happens to the other people in verse 8? But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Self-seeking. See, as Christians, we need to be seeking the lost. Well, wait a minute. That's really inconvenient. You're telling me that I got to get my life together, work my job, uh, take care of my family, and then be aware of strangers that might be open and want to understand about Jesus and inconvenience myself to be available and befriend them? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. 
So a lot of times people need to realize they need to give up things for Jesus. They need to want to. When they realize the price that Jesus paid, they're willing to give up everything to become a disciple. And that's actually quoted by Jesus in Luke 14, verse 33. Anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. So if you're too busy to be a disciple, when you start really studying God's word and understanding what it takes, you start to cut things out because if you're too busy to live the life Jesus calls you, then you're too busy because there's nothing more important than obeying God. Point number three, does joy scorn your shame? Does joy scorn your shame? Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. And when I say shame, shame is feeling really bad about yourself, but it never goes away. And it's not even your, your fault. You cannot forgive yourself. And this is the problem with the train of thought in people's minds. God, Jesus died on the cross for us to have self-control. We get the Spirit so we can uh, not allow ourselves to overeat every day and gain 100 pounds and then feel shameful or to get hooked on alcohol or drugs and just not get help and change or have anger and bitter issues or be very critical all the time but never really address it, it's the way your mind is wired. You, we all have sinful nature. We need to change it. Look in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Let me read that again. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Wow, because of the incredible rewarding feeling and, and what he was going to accomplish, he endured the cross because beyond the cross, he knew it was worth it. He scorned the shame because it was the most humiliating thing you could do. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about it's referred to as the hall of faith. And it talks about so many amazing men and women who, are, who have now gone on and they are with the Lord. But it talks about what they endured on earth and the sufferings they endured because of standing firm and standing up for God. And it says these people are cheering us on. Abraham, Noah, Moses, Joshua, Ruth, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the, all these people, and, and many nameless ones that we don't know that became disciples of Christ and are saved. They're, we're like in the arena on earth, and they're cheering us on in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the auditorium of heaven, looking down. And it says, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let's throw it off. Throw off anything that's going to pull you back in and mess you up. Throw off anything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, not the problem. 
fixing our eyes on Jesus to repent of our sinful nature, fixing our eyes on Jesus and the miraculous forgiveness and kindness and mercy and compassion. If you can't allow the forgiveness of God to you to forgive yourself, there's a problem. If you're a Christian today and you think you're forgiven for God and you have low self-esteem and you feel bad about yourself, I need to encourage you to get in the Bible and get with somebody because there's something that's not connecting. Either you're not a Christian or there's sin or something that's not, uh, your faith is not biblically based totally correctly. There's no way that God can say, I forgive you completely and love you and believe in you and you still feel depressed and bad about yourself. There's something wrong going on, and sin usually does that, or a lack of faith, but I encourage you to talk to somebody because it doesn't go together. God says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. God says that, this great cloud of witnesses contains all the people that are described in Hebrews 11. Their faithfulness in a, in a constant encouragement, and it needs to be a constant encouragement to us. We need to look at the Bible and realize these people do not regret it. Jesus does not regret going to the cross. It was the toughest thing I think a person would ever do, and he had to pray to God to be able to finish it, but he knew he had the joy in his heart, understanding it was worth it. And that's what we need to have because we have the power of God. Let us run their faithfulness. We do not struggle alone. We are not the first to struggle with the problems we face. Others have run the race and won. And their witness stirs us to run and win also. What an inspiring heritage we have. And I would encourage you to look in Hebrews 11 because long, like just as long distance runners work hard to build endurance and strength, on race day, their clothes are lightweight and their bodies are lean. And in the ancient world, in fact, runners sometimes competed naked. To run the race that God has set before us, we must also strip off all the excess weight that slows us down. Well, how can we do that? Well, I think when you become a follower, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, we need to make decisions about who we hang out with. Now, you, I'm saying, you're telling me that I'm telling you who, who you get to hang out with? No, if you truly follow Jesus, you're gonna throw off anything that easily entangles you and challenges you to actually sin. You're not gonna wanna hang out with a pattern of life of people that, do, that their lives show contempt toward God. So you should be able to make decisions about people's values and activities if they cause you to struggle and deter you from finishing the race that you made when you said Jesus is Lord. Maybe some of you don't even know what that is yet and you're hearing this lesson. You need to get in the Bible because God's word will start to change your heart and sensitize your conscience. We need to look at things that we need to change and not get afraid, but go, that's why Jesus died, the power of the cross. Get help. 
Get help from people that understand the power of the cross. They're all around you. There's people reaching out and sharing their faith and wanting to help you. If you're invited, and I would encourage you to call in to the number at this church or come to the website if you haven't been invited by somebody because we teach only the Bible. And we're in the, the, the mission of helping one another get to heaven. So I just want to say on this Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the first miracle that shows us a way out of this darkness, a way to free us from our sin. Jesus died on the cross for us to change and be forgiven of our sins and now turn away from our sins and live a new life pleasing to God, so that just as Jesus raised from the dead, we too will raise from the dead as well, because we'll have a home in heaven. And to God be the glory. Happy Easter.